0: This is a Federal News Network podcast. Agencies had until mid-July to answer some big questions. How will employees eventually return to their offices? How will telework and remote work fit into the broader workforce plans? The answers to those questions are still in flux thanks to the spread of the Delta variant. Jane Dada is NASA's chief human capital officer. She tells Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco how NASA is thinking about the return to the office and why it might look different from employee to employee. It's a complicated subject that does evolve in how we're thinking and talking about it. But I think some common themes are that this return to on-site work, return to the workplace where we have a choice about where we work and how we work and when we work, will probably be more gradual than sort of the abrupt, oh, the pandemic's over and we're back to, you know, having all the options in the world. I think it will be more of a gradual change. But in that, I expect that the goal has remained that we wanna be able to pull practices for our workforce that represent the best of what we did pre-pandemic and the best of what we have learned during the last year and a half. So in other words, rather than saying, oh, well, let's throw away all this stuff and go back, or let's never go back and only keep doing what we're doing, we're missing the opportunity to really reframe the the conversation. And in that reframing, this is actually moving us to an era where we are balancing What is optimal for effectiveness of our work, getting our work done with what it takes to give employees the choices that allow them to be as happy and productive as possible. So there's a sense that there's an employee driven piece of this. So, for instance. You know, we want to make possible remote work arrangements. They come in two forms. You could be either remote to a location where you've typically gone pre-pandemic, you know, on a regular basis. You could be in the commuting area, or you could be remote, far away remote, so that you're not close to a NASA facility necessarily. And we think that there are lots and lots of reasons why it's great to be able to, where it makes sense Support employees to be able to f- decide where they want to live that gives them the support structures they need or allows them to, you know, get a better cost of living so that they can stay with NASA. It makes sense for them financially and every other reason under the sun. On the other hand, we also need to pay attention to. work requirements themselves. And so in all of this, supervisors have an ability to say yes or no. But the idea is that we are not anchoring decisions about where and how and when an employee works based solely on supervisors' individual preference, right? But it's really about what does the work require? What does that mean for where people need to be in order to get the work done properly? So that's sort of the effectiveness argument. And then what do the employees want and how can we get the best of both of those? And to help us along a little, we've actually more recently um, declared that we're going to treat the first, well, really almost starting now and until some point, probably in the middle of next year, as kind of an experimental phase. And the purpose of the experimental phase is to basically say, well, when we, when an employee has a choice about where to be working and when to be working with less capacity restrictions on our, you know, onsite presence, when you open that up some and so there's more choice. What are the patterns that emerge and what does that mean for what we need on site in terms of, you know, temporary space like hoteling or shared offices versus we don't need that building at all versus we need everything that we've always had and not presupposing that, but instead giving ourselves an opportunity to find out what works and what doesn't work. That way, you know, we can figure out in the middle of next year, say, if, if we get there and it looks like that's a good point at which to, to start looking at investment and divestment decisions, we can make better choices about, well, what do we need in the way of the fixed infrastructure? What do we need in the way of IT? And make smart investments as opposed to guessing up front, but then finding out that we were wrong in those areas.
1: Sure, that makes sense. It seems as if this experimental phase that you just described, it maybe no longer has the kind of policy that maybe we saw before the pandemic where it was, well, you're allowed to telework
0: up to four days a week. Is that a safe assumption on my part? That is a safe assumption in that the Way that we thought about telework before was very much of a intermittent or regular, but but definitely agreed up front amount of time. So it was anchored in this idea that you do come to the office every day and then when you're not you're sort of making exceptions that form the telework agreement that you have. And we've had, by the way, we've had telework agreements for a very long time. But I do agree that before the pandemic, they were more anchored in exceptions to the norm, which is being on site. And now we're really shifting from that kind of mindset to a mindset of it could be full time, it could be. Full-time on-site, full-time off-site, it could be near the center, it could be further away from the center. And given that range of options, it's about not about a norm that you're disrupting, but instead it's about constructing a pattern that makes sense for the work and for the employee and for the employees' team. And working through it with the team and with your supervisor so that you can come to an arrangement that you're gonna try out. And if that doesn't work, maybe you're offsite more or off-site less, but it's really starting more with that clean sheet of paper approach as opposed to assuming that it's full time on site and then just by exception, something else. So it really is a mindset shift as much as it is anything else, because in the end, we are still going to have some telework agreements. We're still going to have remote work agreements there. That part of it's the same, but it, you start off those agreements with kind of the more uh, the more clean slate of, okay, what could I do and what makes most sense? And so if you're
1: sort of embracing this period with that metaphor of a you know clean sheet of paper here, I have to imagine that probably most, the, the vast majority of your employees are still working remotely at this point. But are you at the point where perhaps employees are moving or you're hiring completely remote workers? Is that something you can talk about?
0: Yes, we are we have been hiring all through the pandemic. And I don't think that we are we've really pivoted our thinking to hire from anywhere, but that's where we're going. And we certainly have engaged thousands of say interns, right, who have not come on site and who their internships have really been from wherever they were, <laughs> not near any of our our centers. And we also have hired employees who may intend to relocate but haven't yet. And so it's important to note that we are kind of living the reality of people joining NASA from where they are and working and getting acculturated and onboarded from wherever they are but not necessarily with an explicit agreement that that's where they will stay. And so we're working through some of those kinds of arrangements where there are examples of people who, who would like to stay in, some location that is not near where their host center is. We definitely have had people who have moved either temporarily or permanently to other locations who were existing employees prior to the pandemic. And so we've been dealing with them on a case-to-case basis. And I think we will see a continued You know, I don't know how many will be going to far away remote in the early, you know, years of our of this being kind of the way that we do business. I do think that we will have lots of people thinking about really calling their home, their duty station. And those homes are likely to be somewhere near the commuting area of the field center where they've been. So I think we're going to see a migration. We were already seeing some of that in terms of the faraway locations. So I do expect that we're going to see, it's going to be slower for the faraway, but I think we will see some move up people who would like to just declare that they are essentially duty stationed at their homes and that they will come on site ad hoc if and when they need, but that's not really where they're primarily located. And that's a huge shift for us.
1: You mentioned at the beginning that you're headed toward a concept of hiring from anywhere. Just wondering if you can expand on that, what that mentality shift does for you, particularly at NASA, and
0: just how you're thinking about that in general. Well, I actually am relentlessly optimistic about what hiring from anywhere can do for the agency. As you know, we have an ambitious portfolio of missions. We're in a world where technology and technical expertise is shifting and changing. And so, you know, it is always our goal, always has been our goal, remains our goal uh, to have access to the top talent across the nation. So while that has not changed, this idea of being able to accommodate candidates who are top candidates with some of their locational preferences, really could make a big difference for us. And so I think I'm expecting that with a lot of other companies and even other government agencies where they can able to to offer remote work as one of the, you know, features of their offers, I feel like to remain competitive, we need to be open to this as much as is possible. One of the conversations, related conversations that we've had at NASA is that, you know, there's this firmly held belief that in order to bring somebody into NASA and into what we call the NASA family, that you have to have face-to-face interactions. I think that's probably true. However, I think that there is more flexibility on how and when we do those face-to-face interactions than would have been expected if we were looking at this kind of as a conceptual possibility way back when versus now that we're in it and we're experiencing it. So I know there are plenty of people. I mentioned this earlier in our conversation about who have, who have actually joined NASA and, haven't met many or any other NASA people in person. It's have just been, all been virtual. So part of the shift there in getting sort of more accustomed to bringing new people on and acculturating them even without the face-to-face is that the technology itself has improved. I think our ability to use the technology effectively has improved. And we also have spent a lot of investment of time you know, working with, say, our first line supervisors across the agency and giving them good practices to follow for team building and for engaging their people and keeping people connected to one another and to the mission. And because of that, you know, they've been forced to really use the tools they got <laughs> to do it. And they have found that, you know, both the experience, having a m- enough experience under their belt and also some of the improvements in technology have made it better than ever they would have imagined. The only caveat I will add is that as we go to more what is called hybrid, where there's just an, there's more of a, a group of people, say, in a team or you know, in a meeting, on-site versus not on-site, together versus not together. I think that the old habits, the pre-COVID habits kick in and, and we will learn how to do this better. I have absolutely no doubt, but it is going to take practice just like it took us practice to get used to full virtual. And the practice is about how to ensure that we are not overly favoring people who like who are sitting right next to me versus those who are on the net. And I think, again, technology will continue to improve so that the engaging people who are not there will feel just more intuitive and easier with the technology than even it does today. So, So I don't think that what it looks like when we're at, say, 75% occupancy, i.e., we have a lot more people who could be on site and at any time. I don't think that day one of that is going to be a good representation of where we are, say, six or nine months later, which is why I think this experimental phase is so very important to us.
1: Yeah. So how are you thinking about maybe tools for your supervisors? To help them answer some of those questions or tackle some of those questions, you know, I think you noted earlier in our conversation about not making decisions based on managerial preference, and I know that's something that OPM has said as well, and it seems like kind of a big shift potentially for some people. Just wondering how you're tackling that and maybe socializing that among some managers and supervisors.
0: We are doing lots of different things. I would say that this is just going to be part of our evolution. And, you know, we have a wonderful workforce. Many of them have a lot of service at NASA. They're very committed to NASA and the values and practices that we've always had. And that is actually a very good thing. It does, however, make a shift, a cultural shift, a little bit more challenging than it would be for an organization where those norms are not so settled. So what we're doing to kind of open up the aperture for individual employees to express their preferences and to try to deal with some of the, you know, the, the change in norms that may feel uncomfortable to our supervisors and managers is we certainly are giving guidance, you know, some of it's written guidance and it's just, it's just hard. We, we can't have personal consultants available to every supervisor and manager. So it's, it's a little bit of written guidance. It's a little bit of, you know, HR business partners available to consult with. We have telework coordinators to consult with. And then, you know, if an employee feels that they are not being understood, then there's an appeals process, which just leverages the kinds of appeals process we have for everything else. And so so at least we've accounted for that. We, we hope that that will both help for cases where that's necessary and also that we won't need to go there, that we will actually get good communication and dialogue. So those are some of the practical things of toolkits for supervisors and some support around, you know, available to them. I think another important thing is the messaging from the leadership. So I give a lot of kudos to the NASA leadership for making this an agency priority, getting together an agency team to work the plans, engaging all the stakeholders across the agency in the development of the principles and the guidance. So it's not like someone just dreamed a whole bunch of stuff up and said, this is policy now, go work with it, right? We've been engaging a whole team's worth of people over the last, well, Since early part of this year. And so I feel like there's been lots of opportunity for people to weigh in, to do surveys, to talk to their workforce, to socialize things with their workforce. So we're in better shape than we would have been had we not put so much emphasis on this being an agency priority. It's also important that the, the word consistency is a little tricky, meaning it's not that every engineer is going to have the same setup, right, which is what external consistency might look like. But the consistency is more in the form of everybody shares the principles of the matter and recognizes that individual supervisor-employee combinations might come up with different outcomes for the question about where and when and how the work gets done so a good example would be you know i have folks in my organization whose homes do not lend themselves to being good workplaces and they've found a way to cope over the last year and a half but really that is not satisfactory for the long run and so even if i'm encouraging a lean forward approach which means a highly virtual approach that doesn't mean that everybody in my on my staff is going to be all virtual all the time it's going to be a combination of what they need and what we need and working it out as long as everyone has the same opportunity for those choices and dialogue so that's a, it's a bit of a just you know a subtle distinction perhaps but i think it's a really important one because we are taught in government that The way to cope with distress in the workforce is to make sure that everybody, all the things that the employees get look the same, (laughs) right? And there's some goodness in that. But the downside is that this is a little bit more complicated and needs to be driven by some factors that might not result in the same outcome for everybody. And that's actually a better thing than saying all engineers do this all all human capital people do this we're really trying to sort of teach as we go that that's really what we're trying to accomplish and to address the concerns that come up I want to ask you
1: about how the virtual environment and you know the experimental stage and then where you're headed how might that change how you all think about maybe professional development opportunities and training
0: for employees I think there are two key points to make here. One is more about external and, to some degree, internal, the more classic training or classroom-related development opportunities. The great thing about the or the silver lining of the last eighteen months, I should say, is that with events being virtual, there is much more access for more people than would ever have been possible before. So think about conferences and internal training offerings. It's easy to add people to a Teams meeting to participate and get the benefit of keynote speakers or classroom materials it would otherwise have entailed quite a bit of travel money and time to take people from where they are. And so I think this notion that we can democratize access in a way to the to learning and development opportunities is is a great thing and something that has been propelled forward by being virtual for as long as we have. Some of this is about the way, you know, NASA and the patterns of our workforce, but we have relatively low turnover at our agency because we have an experienced and loyal and very mission-passionate workforce, (laughs) and because of that, which is a great thing. But because of that, that means that our turnover might be, I don't know, 6% a year, and it varies year over year, 4 to 6%. So 94% of our workforce stays with us year over year over year. And what that means is that we need to, to care for their development and our philosophy on development is that about 70% this is the 70 2010 model which is not original to us about which we are leveraging for sort of arranging our kind of development program 70% of learning happens by direct as it were hands-on or experiential learning and because of that We put a lot of premium on things like developmental rotations, detail assignments. Uh, So a rotation implies you're moving around from multiple places. The detail assignments are assignments where I, I have somebody and I loan them to another organization for a period of time so that they can do work that's different than they would do in their current home assignment, and then they come back at some point. But this idea of experiential learning allows employees to consider doing work that may not be in what you call a traditional career path you know I move here then I move here because the traditional career paths are usually motivated by promotions which is kind of horizontal movement and there's that's great and that will continue and also I think there's some horizontal development so you know we have people working for us now that have spent most of their career in the CFO's office, right? And so they're getting to see a completely different part of the business and they get to develop skills and capabilities that contribute to their overall leadership qualities or knowledge of the agency or different mission area, even though it may not be the traditional career path. The key here in this conversation is that it's You can do many more of those, many more easily, much more easily, excuse me, with virtual assignments. So I think it really just pushes open the doors of opportunity to our workforce to consider projects, rotations, details, these kinds of experiential learning opportunities that might not ever have been possible or even thought of and considered before so we have a tool which we call talent marketplace it's internal to our agency which is designed to help make this happen and we have that in place pre-pandemic so this is not a new idea but what we've noticed is that in this Time of the pandemic, where most of us are virtual, that the utilization of that has really increased significantly. And we've seen a lot more movement of people to different types of assignments that are hosted in different locations, and that it's really contributing to a positive employee development process.
1: I don't know if stigma is the right word, but I guess I'll just use it here. It, it maybe removes the, the stigma of having to make a a geographic move to maybe take on one of these opportunities where that's had some challenges, I guess, maybe in the past that you can just avoid by having the assignment maybe be virtual.
0: Absolutely. I think there's a recognition that people have their outside of work family situations lives and that geography matters for all of that uprooting say an entire family to go to do a developmental assignment somewhere else or alternatively doing what we call etdy which is an extended you know travel arrangement where you're going from your normal place of work to somewhere far away and you're compensated for it but then you're separated from your (laughs) from your home and family Neither of those is very practicable for many of our employees. And I remember back in the day when we were talking about SES career mobility, this came up and it's hard. It's hard on on people to think about, well, if I really want to progress in my career, I have to move geographically. At NASA, that has never been one of those things that we've pushed. Certainly, if you're in the military, you're used to moving around from location to location and you sign up for the military knowing that that's what you're in for. At NASA that was not the case. And so it feels a lot to ask and not very rewarding. And and you're sort of doing a career versus what you need on a personal level. And we need to attend to both. So here we are at a moment in time where you know we really can look at possibilities for people that allows us to do what we really want, which is to grow them and give them different experiences whilst not disrupting, you know, their home and their family lives. And for those who are mobile, then there are other options and that's fine too. It's just, I feel like, this is just such a wonderful thing, and it's so important for NASA and the workforce for their development that I'm really enthusiastic and optimistic about what it will allow for, even after we have some people, you know, after we move beyond where we are now and have more capacity on site and, and more people on site, I still think that will be a feature that people will consider offer and consider participating in these kinds of things.
1: From a policy perspective, you know, I know that OPM has been been trying to answer as many questions as they can about, okay, how is this supposed to work if we have people working remotely and they're no longer close to their duty station? What is their locality pay? Things like that. To get to kind of the next step, and you've sort of you know, described where you want NASA to go as far as it sounds like being a really individualized situation, what works best for the individual employee. Are there policy questions that are still kind of out there that you think need to be answered?
0: I actually have been really thankful to OPM and the Chico Working Group that has worked with OPM to come up with an initial set of guidance. One of the things that they did that was so important is that they sort of set the standards to be progressive. They said, if you have been successfully teleworking all of this time, then the expectation is that should be able to continue if that's what both parties want. So that was really helpful. I also would say that they... Well, the regulations and policies that are in place are actually, they're okay. We can work within those boundaries to do what we want. And the way that they responded to some of the frequently asked questions, they came up with the solutions that we came up with. So for instance, if an employee whose duty station, say at a field center, has to show up. in a pay period in order for that locality pay to be effective. So that would mean that you might, if you're moving to a remote location, then you get the locality pay of whatever that is. And in some cases, it might be higher. In other cases, it might be lower for the agencies. But my guess is it'll probably be a mix of both, and it'll come out in the wash generally. But for the people who are in the local community area, They can call their home, their duty station, and so you address the need to be at the duty station twice a pay period by that change. And so it's kind of a workaround, if you will, but it works fine. Where I think OPM wants to go and will try to go and we will support them in this is just really taking a look at more broadly at the compensation policies, locality pay in general, and see if there are some legislative uh, proposals that would make sense. Of course, that's their call. And the Chico Council is there to help support and give some ideas and help them along the way. So it's not for me to say what they will do, but I know that understand that the system that we work in today is anchored in sort of the thinking from a while ago and that the only trick, of course, is that shifting it in legislation and regulation is not a trivial undertaking. (laughs) And so so what I'm glad about is that they, sort of the messaging from OPM is what I would want it to be and that there is a certain amount of wiggle room within what we already have today for us to be able to move forward without having to be reliant on a legislative change to enable things. So anything that comes after this is more goodness. I think that uh, it would be important to really, think about it in terms of modernizing, you know, the civil service uh, approach to civil service employment. But I'm okay living with where we are right now, because I think there's this flexibility inherent in, in what we do. Jane Dotta, NASA's Chief Human Capital Officer, speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA.
3: and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me.
2: How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years?
3: My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and i learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it, so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's uh, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about, but that's should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them.
2: Uh, I,
3: and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea.
2: Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants